We have so many ways to to talk to each other now. And they all fail. And they all fail, but that's what makes that's what makes life fun. Yes. Is it? Well, <laughs> is it? If you Could don't be. enjoy constantly failing, life will not be fun. Cool. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Voice of Design. I'm Erica Hall. And uh, this is Mike Montero. And I'm really excited for this week's episode. Are you? I am. sound, it's palpable, the excitement in your voice. Well, I am. I'm getting over a little cold. Okay. Which, you know, is the worst thing that can happen to anybody ever. But I am excited about this episode because we get to, we get to talk to, to someone I, uh, I like very much. Fantastic. And that person is a author and, and researcher and, research, and researcher. Well, we'll get a few more descriptors in too before the, um, the episode's over and Brooklynite. Park, Park Slope co-op member. Not Park Slope co-op member. No. Uh, we can we can talk about that. Uh, we 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 certainly will. So, person of Brooklyn. That's not a thing we should perpetrate. Keo that phrase. Stark. Hi, Keo. Hi, you guys. I am not <laughs> a Park Slope Food Co-op member. Just to clarify. So, I thought you had to be. Like, well, I don't even a... live in Park Slope. Oh, okay. Well, that's a thing. That's important. <laughs> What part of Brooklyn do you do you live in, if you want to say? Sure. I live in one of those neighborhoods that the real estate agents can't decide what it's called because oh, it's yeah. on the edges of a lot of different things. But um, your house is more expensive if you call it Borum Hill. Got it. Borum Hill. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a, a British romantic comedy <laughs> such that Hugh Grant would have been in during his prime and yet it was made up, I think, by one of Jonathan Latham's neighbors in the 70s. Uh, wow. Oh, right. It's funny how naming things different things gives them more value. How do you find all this stuff out, Keo? I mean, do you just like go out there and like, talk to people you don't know? Because that's weird. What a setup. Right. So, um, yes, I happen to have found out the stuff I just told you through other means, but I do just go out and talk to a lot of people and find it to be very entertaining and pleasurable and politically important. And also I learn a lot of strange things, but not all of them could be used on a podcast. So you wrote a book about talking to strangers. I did. And that, yes. that book, that book uh, was, was first a Ted talk, right? Um, they sort of were conceived as twins. The book is called When Strangers Meet, How People You Don't Know Can Transform You. And it's a nice little 80-page book about why everyone should talk to strangers and then some actual sociological information about how those interactions work. So if you're looking for like tips on how to talk to strangers, you will find some of that in there. If you like to talk to strangers, you will find a great deal of support and understanding about why you like it. If you don't like it, I might be able to convince you to do it. And also it has some little personal stories of mine. And then there is a TED Talk that goes with it. So the TED Talk is like the the sort of cliff notes you can listen to and watch me make funny faces because I make funny faces when I speak in public. It's true. I've seen it. Yes. And I'm doing it now. You just can't see it. Well, it's, it's our listeners loss. <laughs> so, uh, I'm horrified of talking to strangers. Convince me. It's hard to convince you of anything. That's not true. It is. I'm so open-minded. Okay. So I'm speaking to you in your open-minded capacity. Yes, ma'am. So one of the good reasons to talk to strangers or even to greet and uh, acknowledge strangers is despite any sort of cantankerousness or shyness you may natively feel, the chances are high that having one of those very brief, very tiny acknowledgements or conversations will give you a good feeling. I like to talk about this as fleeting intimacy. So we all know sassy, right? Fleeting intimacy, but it's not what it sounds like. What it is, is if you think about that, we all need intimacy or most of us, some kind of feeling of recognition, of being understood, of closeness. There are these little moments on the street where you can also feel acknowledged 
even understood, um, recognized as just as a human, just your humanness is being acknowledged. And that feeling sort of contributes to the overall tab of getting all the intimacy we need. So it can be really emotionally significant in these tiny increments. Another reason that you should do it, and this may involve, as they say, going out of your comfort zone, is that it's really at this point in history in particular, just imperative that we all see what we can do to talk to people who are different than we are. I'm not a big fan of using the word empathy too broadly. And I'm not going to say that what you need is to have empathy for people who are different than you, but you need to see that they are human. That may be a really um, mind expanding. It may make you feel really good. It may make you feel uncomfortable, but it's something that we all need to be responsible for at this point. Most of the time when you encounter somebody who's different than you are as a human and not as some stereotype or part of a group, it leaves you in a better place. That all makes a ton of sense. I totally get that. I love it when strangers talk to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I find that very heartwarming. I'm a little bit more reticent to, to, to initiate the conversation myself, not because I don't want to, uh, sometimes I don't want to, but it's like, I'm afraid of how they'll react. Sure. So that's a legit concern. And especially as a man, you have to be at this point, extra respectful of the desires of the people around you. So yes, it's this great thing to give of yourself to the world of strangers, you also have to be aware that they might not want it and that's okay too. Yeah. So the first thing you can sort of look for to tell if somebody is open to even just a nod is whether they're making eye contact. If somebody's not making eye contact, generally, unless you're like a high level expert stranger talker, just don't do it. So there, you know, I, with my infinite experience can sometimes tell that someone would be totally (laughs) open to this, even if they're not looking at me, but I wouldn't that, you know, don't try that at home. So, yeah, I think the, 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 the male thing that you mentioned, like, I, I don't want somebody to think I'm creeping on them. Right. Right. And another thing that's important is you may not be creeping on them, but they may have had 12 people already today creep on them and they're not going to, be able to really hear the difference and they don't have to. That's not their job. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's like when you get 40 customer satisfaction surveys in a day, you know, neither, (laughs) none of those people think about that, that, oh yeah, everybody else is bombarding you with attention, but it's good to be mindful of the fact that some people get bombarded with a lot of attention. Is there, is there a, a, a geographic thing at play here as well? Because I so I grew up in Philadelphia and the rules in Philadelphia were if you made eye contact with somebody you had to nod. Mm-hmm. And it was like it, it was like both parties way of saying I see you, I'm not dangerous, I'm not going to stab you as we walk away from each other. Yes. So there are all kinds of geographical and cultural differences from place to place, from country to country, from region to region. And one of the things that I recommend for people who aren't comfortable with this or are really trying to get into it or understand it is to just do some observing first and see what the conventions seem to be around them. It is in many places in the United States, that kind of expectation that if you pass somebody on the street, you're going to nod, you're going to acknowledge. That's a form of uh, greeting, right? Right. I like that you mentioned that it's also a signaling of safety um, of I'm not going to mess with you because I see you. And I think it's really the same principle. It's like, I've caught your eye. I've nodded at you. I'm clocking you as a human and I don't hurt humans. I like that. I like that way of phrasing it. Yeah. So, so then when I moved out here to the, to, to San Francisco, they don't, people don't do that here. Like you make eye contact with people and I nod and then they don't nod back. And mm-hmm. I'm left thinking like, what's up with this sociopath? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that might be jumping a little far down the line of conclusions, but granted, um, totally granted. Yeah, because it might be because because if I if I say hi to people or nod, people tend to say hi or nod back. And it's a question of like, is the body language exactly the same 
Or is your like Philly nod come across as something different in California? Quite, quite possible. I think you're also in a big city that is full of people who have come there to seek their fortune in whatever ways. You're more likely to get people who don't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they feel like outsiders or they feel like insiders in some way that they need to defend or they just come from a place where there's a different culture. Um, So I'm sure like half of those are just people who don't have that expectation. I think what Erica's saying about the Philly nod may be that you're sort of signaling something with your body that would be understood in Philly and isn't understood here. There are places in the world where looking somebody directly in the eye is in fact a challenge. Um, It's like, okay, fight me if you do that. So that wouldn't go over well in Philly, for example. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to fight anybody. Right. Right. (laughs) Famously, you don't want to fight anyone. Yeah. And, and I think it's it's true. Like, you know, San Francisco is notoriously a, a transient city. Mm-hmm. People talk about it like there's a cultural identity, but there's far less of a cultural identity than there is a geographic identity. Like I'd say there's a really strong climate geographic identity. Those things give us access, I would say, to, to certain like things to do or like geographical areas or something like that. And I think we kind of share living there together with like, oh, we have access to this food and these things happen and we're all friends with the fog. But (laughs) it's not, I think, what is absolutely true. And I haven't spent much time in Philly, but I've spent a fair amount of time in New York City. And there is such a thing as a New Yorker, like Spider-Man movies are right on about this. (laughs) Like I was in New York, my greatest, probably my greatest New York stranger interactions were the week where, because I'd I'd gone to New York a lot for for client trips and and things like that, but I was always with people and often with locals and having a very guided experience where, you know, y'all go into the subway together and you pop up on like a different part of the island or you're over in Brooklyn or whatever. And I didn't really know my way around, but then I I had a week there where I was basically on my own. Like I was with some other people, we were working together, but everybody kind of went their own way when we weren't actually in meetings. And so I finally had the opportunity to just kind of wander around New York City by myself. And it happened to be during some of the most heinous weather, like imaginable. It was like July and it was 90 and it was humid and the garbage smell was everywhere And what I noticed was how just friendly people were because there was a real sense of shared, like it's us against the city. It's us against the climate. Nobody could even try anymore. Like even the super hot supermodels looked like wet dogs. (laughs) It, It was amazing. And then one afternoon, like the hot rain came. It was just sort of like sticky and disgusting for a while. And then it rained and everybody was just laughing because it was, there was nothing you could do. You couldn't have a hairstyle or an outfit. Mm -hmm. You were just sort of soggy and sweaty. And people were just so cool and friendly. Like I got stuck at a turnstile in the the underground or in the, what do you call it there? The subway. (laughs) The underground. (laughs) The the, the Manhattan tube. (laughs) The metro. The metro. I was in the metro. And like my, I was having a problem with my Metro card and like some, some dude held the gate open for me or like helped me jump the turnstile. I forget, but like make, arrest people for that, make the train at it. It was a, <laughs> it was a thing. And like, I saw somebody drop money and some guy came up behind the person who dropped money and was like, Hey, you dropped 20 bucks. And people were just like being like Spider-Man movie level, just friendly to each other as New Yorkers. Like, oh, we're all New Yorkers. We're all here in New York. Like everybody, there are like so many different, you know, careers and income levels and uh, cultural backgrounds and genders and ethnicities. And everybody's just like, hey, we're all like doing our thing in this giant wad of people that are sort of like rooted here in a way that I think is different from San Francisco. Yeah. You also had kind of the like anti do the right thing experience with the heat. Like could yeah. go either way. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know if it was like the, yeah, the, the particular moments I had or the particular neighborhoods I was in. It wasn't, I wasn't in tempers are going to flare areas. Right. I was, right. I will admit I was in more of the like, wow, isn't it nice that we can all have ice Chardonnay in our sippy cups while watching Mama Mia. That was more <laughs> that wow. Wow. than the do the right thing. Hey, I was there 
by myself. And so I figured I wanted to do the things that you wouldn't want to do. Oh, you nailed it. And I was like, what's the number one thing you would not want to do in New York City? I was like, I, go I, to Mamma Mia. And drink iced Chardonnay. Yeah. Out of a lenticular sippy cup, man. It was, uh, I was having the full dream. I was having the full do dream. Do you still have that sippy cup? Ah, no, I don't. I don't think I do. I don't, but it was <gasps> refillable. <laughs> and the other great moment. Oh, I'll I, bet it was. Yeah. The, um, the sitting next to me, shockingly, was a, uh, it was a man and his like 12 year old son. And he was not only explaining Broadway and how Broadway worked to his kid. He was also explaining ABBA and musicals. And so that was beautiful. Sometimes I like to eavesdrop way more than I'd like to interact. Like I've had a lot of great um, interactions with strangers because I have traveled a bunch like by myself and you're out there and then you end up like interacting with interesting people when everybody's sort of like traveling in like tourist areas and stuff like that. But, uh, but I, I super love eavesdropping when I'm out in the world. I am also a big fan of eavesdropping. And I think, you know, one of the things you're pointing at is this kind of sometimes a shared experience opens up a place to a different kind of friendliness and stranger interaction. Um, it's not just having something in common. It's a little bit of a magical thing. I don't really, even though I do this and study it, I don't quite have the right language for it. <laughs> There's also the unfortunate opposite of that, where sometimes you go out and everyone in the whole city is angry and tense. And like, it just feels like you should go back in your house. So that happens too. But I like to advertise more this possibility of the kind <laughs> of, you know, some experience that everyone is having is kind of leveling and puts yeah. you all in common. The other thing I was going to say about eavesdropping is, I mean, some kinds of research are very similar to eavesdropping and at their best should be like eavesdropping. Like when you're eavesdropping, what are you trying to do? You are listening in on something because it's entertaining, but also because you're figuring out, like you're interested in the people you're eavesdropping on because you're figuring out something about them from hearing what they're talking about and how they're talking about it. You may be figuring out that you think they're jerks, but you may also be learning something about people who are different than you are. So to me, there's like a blurred line between research and eavesdropping. Here's a question. Is it ever okay to acknowledge that you're eavesdropping? Sure. Like, I mean, it's a risk too. But. Like, Here's the example I'm thinking of. You're eavesdropping on two people who are trying to, like, they're obviously tourists. They're trying to get to a place. They're trying to figure out where it is. Do you jump in and say, oh, hey, I overheard you're trying to get to uh, such and such. It's this way. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. You can just say like, hey, do you need help? What's funny is people do that in New York all the time. And it still has this reputation as an unfriendly place, but you can't walk out your door in a place where there might be tourists for like five minutes without running into someone who's helping someone with stuff like that. I live relatively close to a bunch of public buildings, you know, the, like the department of labor and whatever, all kinds of city services. And I help people every time I step out my door or I see someone else helping someone find which building it is. And people looking stuff up on their phones for other people. And yeah, that starts with a slightly invasive thing of either you overhear people talking or you can just see what they're doing. They're puzzling over the map, their faces all scrunched up. One of the things that I think allows that, and I haven't really thought about this that much in detail, but often that happens at the corner and you're already close together. So it, you haven't like encroached on someone to eavesdrop on them. You're just standing really close to them because you're all waiting in line to cross the street. And the corner is very visible. Yes. It's not the middle. Of the, so you're not walking up to somebody in the, in the middle of a, like a, a right. tree lined street, kind of like in the shade. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and what's really interesting about this is somebody, cause so our, you know, our, Mule is in a very touristy part of San Francisco. So I have the opportunity to give people bad directions to Coit Tower and Lombard Street on the daily. You know, we also travel a lot. And so I've, I've definitely been on both sides of that. And what I found was really interesting when I was in Seoul, the way of, of giving directions or redirecting somebody was uh, very different because I was obviously, I was looking for this giant Buddhist temple, but I was on the wrong side of the block mm -hmm. and I'd stopped and I was taking a picture of something else. So I was just obviously, uh, 
very obviously an American tourist. Like there's nothing subtle about me when I'm out in the world. <laughs> and this woman walks up and she's like, oh, uh, can I help you? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm walking around. And she said, well, I think she figured out like what I was I was trying to find or look at. And she said, well, if you're interested, um, if you go up to the end of the block here and you make a right turn, there's a very beautiful Buddhist temple. And I think that she knew, obviously, that's what I was aiming for. But she didn't want to ask directly. Oh, that's uh-huh. a smooth move. It was yeah. su- it was super smooth. It was, hey, I have such a great suggestion for you since you're wandering around in on this total industrial side of this block. <laughs> so it was you, like not it was considered not polite to say you look lost. Right. It was yeah. I think I think she asked if she could if she could help me or something like that. And she didn't want to insist, but I think she thought, oh. Hey, you know, to be awesome. That's the kind of tone she had. She's like, you know, it just occurred to me that you might like to see this thing that I, I'm just going to describe. I'm not going to suggest that you're lost. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, just suggest if you're interested, if you just go up here and make a right, there's a fantastic, gorgeous temple right there. And what I'm trying to clock here is like, if someone did that here, it would seem insane. Like, <laughs> It, Why are you giving me suggestions? Yeah, if you were like, clearly, hey. I'm looking for that. Yeah, it'd be like, are you are you looking for? They they would ask directly. Oh, are you? Yeah, are you trying to find this thing? Oh, people in yeah. Philly give each other suggestions all the time <laughs> of where to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like take a hike, kind of suggestion. Hey, hey, why don't you go fuck yourself? Yeah, that's yeah, what I thought yeah, you were going a little, yeah. a little journey. little journey. So what got you interested in this whole uh, stranger danger situation? Stranger, not it's danger. not dangerous. Stranger. <laughs> stranger, not We need another rhyme for stranger that's friendly. I don't think we want to be teaching kids that. Well. I do actually teach yeah. my kids. All right. All right. Let's, let's talk. Yeah, okay, let's talk so, about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Kids are statistically in way more danger from people they know yeah, that's true. than yeah. from strangers. That's like sadly by, true. Yeah, anything like kidnapping, yeah. any horrible child crimes that we're not going to go into here, it's um, it's usually somebody they know, but stranger danger is just more of a fear. Yeah, and you know, there's a whole history to that that I won't get all academic about, but stranger danger is the first thing many people ask me about when they hear about my work. They're like, yeah, but kids. So my first answer is like, how you deal with your children and strangers is way your own decision. Like I'm not telling anybody what to do. Sure. I'm not even really making suggestions. All I'm going to do is tell you what I do with my kid who is currently eight in the book. There's some stuff about it from when she was four. And if you have kids or if you don't, you know, I'll just remind you that like children learn nothing from what you tell them. They learn from what you do. You know, they are modeling you all the time. So you can say, don't talk to strangers and then do it all the time. And then you're a a hypocrite and be confusing them and see, they're going to do what you do. So what I've always done with my kid is behaved as I always behave. It's been very clear to her that she should not go anywhere with someone she doesn't know. It's been very clear that she shouldn't take food from anyone she doesn't know without asking her grown-up, meaning whoever's Mm -hmm. responsible for her at the moment, and that she can talk to whoever she wants and she can choose not to. So the idea there is she gets to like learn to trust her own instincts. She talks to people and sometimes decides she doesn't want to, and she has full permission to do that or not. I've never encountered her talking to anyone who she backed away from, who didn't say, that's right, you know, like you don't talk to strangers or, you know, that's right, you don't have to. Nobody has ever been offended by her saying hello and then backing away from it or by her not wanting to talk to them. They they excuse it as shyness, which I used to also use as an explanation. And then I decided like, that's just teaching her that you're supposed to talk to people, but you know, there are excuses, particularly for women. So now I'm like, yeah, you just don't have to talk to that person. If that person says something to you that makes you uncomfortable, ignore them. Keep walking. Glare at them. She likes to glare at people. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, this is this is a really what's striking me as a really fantastic trend lately. And it really it feels new. This is probably something that people have been doing in schools for a while now. But it seems like there's a lot of fantastic work being done around 
consent at very, uh-huh. very early ages. Like uh, you, yeah. you've probably seen the video of the kids greeting the teacher and they get to point to what level of intimacy they want in their greeting from, uh, I think there's a wave. I think there's like a, I'm not even going to touch you to mm-hmm. like a handshake, a fist bump, uh, right. to a hug. Like the hug is, right. is the, the greatest degree of closeness. And classrooms have these pictures on the wall and the kids come in every day and they can choose. Yeah. Like, and then one person, I think there's sometimes it's the teacher. Sometimes there's a kid who's like, I'm comfortable like hugging whoever wants to be hugged and I'll be the other side of the greeting. And this is such like, uh, like we're all, we're all the same generation, right? When we were kids, it was, oh, it's your aunt or uncle, whatever. You have right. to go hug them. Right. You have right, to right. go that's kiss where them. That goes. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's horrible because that's taking away a kid's agency, like yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. And, but now it's like, you know what? You can totally, you can like somebody, you can love somebody and you still have control over how physical you're going to get with them. And that to me is one of the most uh, amazing positive changes in terms of instructing and helping kids around these areas. It's also overlaps into like how you explain to some degree, like not being physically violent, like, yeah, it's not okay. There's all these complicated reasons, but also that's somebody else's body. You just can't touch it without their permission. Like, yeah, simple rule. And it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be tied up with sex at all because people get so weird about sex education. But it's like, you know what? Consent is a super and bodily autonomy are fantastic concepts. And it's so great to see how these are being taught and respected. And finally, finally, at this point, I I feel like kids can say, no, you know what? I don't want to hug my aunt or the neighbor or whatever. And that's fine. Yeah. And I get to choose, like maybe I get to choose to fist bump them or maybe I get to choose right. just a wave from across the room and that's right. cool and fine. So right. what, what were you going to ask about? Oh, uh, you mentioned that you saw a video of this being mm-hmm. done in a classroom. Yeah. Is this being widely adopted or is this something that's that someone's attempting to introduce? I feel, I feel like it's, I don't know if it's part of a, a movement in like child behavior or the curriculum or whatever, but I've seen, and I don't know if it was one of those things where one teacher did it and it was awesome. And then other teachers uh, picked it up. I I have no idea, but I know that it's happening in multiple places. I think it's great. I, yeah. I love the phrase bodily autonomy. Yeah. So what happens, how do you deal with, so you've, you've taught your kid, you know, their body mm-hmm. is their body. They don't have to hug anybody they don't want. And so they don't want to hug Aunt Betty. And then Aunt Betty decides to make a stink. At what point do you do you step in or do you uh, as the parent? It depends on the kid's age, but I would say pretty immediately. Like if Aunt Betty is like, you know, oh, of course you have to give me a hug. You step in and say, no, actually, it's her body. You know, she can uh, choose some other way of saying goodbye to you. Great. And you just have to be kind of a stalwart defender of contemporary mores against Aunt Betty's antiquated mores. Yeah. And I think not making it a big deal, not making that kind of choice a big deal Mm -hmm. is huge where you're just like, oh, I get to choose. And it's not a big deal that I get to choose and you get to choose. And, and that's, that's cool and fine and and great. Yeah. So you're just like, yeah, it's just not a thing. And it doesn't mean that the person doesn't like you or care about you. And I think the other uh, positive trend that's been happening is, understanding neurodivergence. Mm -hmm. I think that's been a a huge, fantastic trend where it's like, you know, not everybody socializes the same way. Not everybody sees the world and sees the world of social relationships the exact same way. Yeah. And that's cool and great. And we can all adjust for that. Right. There's no like one right way. Yeah. There's no one right, one right way. So a person who identified themselves as having Asperger's wrote to me uh, after the TED Talk had been up for a while and wanted me to be aware that for him, it was traumatic when somebody talked to him or wanted to make eye contact with him and that it was important to respect many different reasons why somebody might not want to talk to you on the street, not only that women might not want to talk to you on the street. And he wanted me to get them to 
you know, redo the talk and edit the book, which I was not obviously able to do, but yeah. you know, I try to bring that up when I can. So yeah. I think that's a really, really good point. And I, you could lump that all under social autonomy, which is what my kid is learning about how she has choices about who to talk to, as well as choices about how people encounter her body. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that that's, that's really great. And I think people also, once you get to the point of not taking it personally, because mm-hmm. I think that's the huge thing we have to deprogram is, oh, I'm super offended because a, a lot of violence, right, comes out of offense mm-hmm. and a lot of bad feeling. And if you can kind of detach that and say, like, you don't get to, like, be offended by somebody just like living their life and having social and, and bodily autonomy. There's eight billion people in the world. Yeah. If one person doesn't want to interact with you in a certain way, like work it out. Yeah. So how did you get involved in, um, I'm not going to say stranger, we need a better rhyme for like stranger, being a stranger ranger. Uh, Yeah. Stranger ranger. Ranger. Oh God. Let's make her a badge. Yes. I want. How did you become a stranger ranger? We're going to make a badge. Yes. I'm a stranger ranger. Stranger (laughs) ranger. So. I mean, the answer is mostly that I grew up in a family where everybody talked to strangers. I lived in a medium-sized, broken-down industrial town that also had a state university that was very separate from it. And my parents talked to strangers. I saw that happening all around me. I didn't realize that it wasn't normal until I was really well into adulthood because I I then went to college in the South where everyone also talks to strangers within a whole sort of complicated structure. And then I went to grad school in an unnamed Northeastern town and discovered that that was not really normal. And one morning I was walking over to one of the libraries pretty early. It was like Sunday morning or something. And there was a guy who was wearing clothes that identified him as a maintenance worker. And I said, Hey, good morning. And the guy stopped, looked at me, scrunched up his face and said, you must not be from around here. And at that moment I thought, okay, so Apparently this is something that is interesting because not everyone does it. And it turns out it's not part of whatever normal means. And so then I, I started treating it as something to observe how other people did something to research, something to experiment with, something to push my own boundaries about. So it was like an informal fixation and area of study for a long time. Wow. And I taught a class to graduate students in this weird tech program at NYU called ITP about how stranger interactions work because they kept making projects at that program that were trying to get people to talk to strangers through technology. And I would be a guest reviewer. I think this would be really great if you knew anything about how strangers interact. So somebody, it's the kind of program where I said that a few times and then one of the faculty was like, yeah. Okay. Well, that's a gauntlet. So design a class. So I did (laughs) that. And from writing about it in public and talking about it in public, I, I ended up being the stranger ranger that I am. Stranger ranger. I want to circle back to something that you said at the beginning of the show, um, about in this day and age, um, Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing, but, uh, the book is four years old, right? Yeah. And I th- even just four years ago, the world was a much different place. Yes. At least it felt different. Well, yeah. Well, I think it felt, it, it at least gave the illusion of being less polarized. What about now? What about the, t- the, the, the time that we're living in now in 2019 makes it uh, more important that we go out and talk to people who are different than us? Well, that is an excellent question. Thank you for asking that. Um, I think that the most concise way to say the answer to that is that everything about our uh, governmental structure and the laws that are being made and changed and where budgets are being diverted to and public rhetoric from both the government and a lot of very vocal racist news outlets and humans are telling us that people who are different than us are dangerous, are invaders, are coming after our jobs, are, are, you know, 
children, they're invading our economy. And because there is such clear violence at an interpersonal level and at a legislative level, you know, what we're doing on the southern border, for example, the kind of uptick in hate crimes, all of this stuff is exactly why we need to be fighting against that, partly at an individual level every day in little tiny interactions by being open to strangers, by seeing them as human. Yeah, because I think what's happening are the 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 fear is being frothed up on screens in people's homes, right? In this in their safe environment where people are on the sofa mm-hmm. watching what's accurately described as is hateful uh, propaganda and not actually having interactions with people who are not like themselves. Right. And so those stories, those fictionalized stories that are so emotional and so gripping, I think, uh, lodge in people's brains and they, and they don't have like an interaction. They don't seek out like, Oh, let me go now that I'm all freaked out. Let me go talk to somebody not like myself. Yeah. So follow up question. So we all live in cities. We meaning the, the three of us, the three of us, yes. the three of us chatting yeah. day. We live in cities, coastal cities. Cities are packed full of people. Cities are more diverse. Uh, it's, it's hard to go out and not meet a stranger and not meet a stranger who doesn't look like you mm-hmm. and possibly strike up a conversation and realize, Hey, this is, this person's nice. What do you do if you are one of those people in a rural place where you, you know, everybody. So you've been living in the same town your whole life. There's a thousand people there. You've met all of them. They they all pretty much look like you to an extent where are you going to meet these strangers that you, sh- that you need to be talking to? I hear the knocking at my door. Yep. Just a moment. <laughs> this is yes, just like that I, newscast. This is going yes. to be adorable and we're totally keeping it in. <laughs> okay. So, Mama. yes, lovey. Hey. How's your shot? How's your flu shot? I'll show you in a second. Okay. And then I have to have <laughs> you guys go in a different room what? What? because I'm being recorded. Really? Yeah, really. Do you want to come say hi? <gasps> okay. Okay. Mama. Just all you have to do is be near me. Don't scream. Mama? Yes. <laughs> I was talking about you on this podcast. I was talking about how you greet everyone. She's she's 8, folks. She's making baby noises, but she's 8. <laughs> okay. Now go. Hello. Away. No. Not right now. No. I'm just going to do this on the iPad. Okay. <laughs> she's, she's taking my iPad. Um, this is, right. there was yet another uh, video today, I think, of a newscaster, I think, recording from home in front of a green screen and the, the child oh, yeah. appeared. Did you see that? It was I super cute. Those. The best one was the guy who was like the financial correspondent who's like two kids came like that rolling so in good. and his wife jumped in to like grab yeah. him. He became so famous because of that. It's, it's a, adorable. Anyway, adorable. let's, oh, let's, yeah. uh, let's wrap this up. Yeah. So, so that- what were we, yeah. uh... I think you're pointing at something really good. If you are looking at a zip code where mostly people are homogenous, the fear of strangers, particularly, uh, lately it's fear of immigrants is much higher. The less you have interactions with people who are different than you, the more likely you are to be afraid of them, uh, and to vote based on these fears. If you're somebody in a place like that, whether it's a small rural town or a homogenous zip code, and you really want to interact with strangers, there's no obvious solution other than you're going to have to go somewhere else to do it. So, you know, plan a day trip and take a bus or drive your car or something to the nearest place where people are different and go have a cup of coffee and see what that's like. And I'm just going to go ahead and say right now that I'm, when I say that I'm talking to white people, I would not recommend that anyone who is the object of fear go somewhere where they're going to be feared in the same yeah. way. That's yeah. just I enjoy yeah. the siren in the background while you're describing yes. this. It's Perfect totally timing. great to go. Everything's safe. Everything's go see people fine. who aren't like you. Yeah. Do not go and, and put yourself in danger from yeah. strangers. Right. 
Yeah, it's a it's a tricky that whole risk assessment. And I think a big part of it that is connected to all of this is the loss of our non-commercial public outdoor space. Yes. There just yes. aren't yes. as many spaces for people to mingle in public that are like free and open spaces. Like when yeah. I was a kid, it was the mall, but of course the mall is private property that you could easily get booted off of. And so any area that's that's like a, a public private area that's really commercial real estate that or a retail space that's open to the public, right? That's going to be policed in such a discriminatory fashion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there are so few places where you can just go and say, oh, I'm going to be out mingling with people. Yeah. Like yeah. here, you know, when we first moved to the city, I went to like Glide a few times. What does that mean? The big, it's a big social justice church. There was a very oh, okay. charismatic founder. It was a, and they, they do a lot of work in the Tenderloin. They're one of those places where they do a lot of social work in the neighborhood that they're in, which is in the, the Tenderloin, which is um, a neighborhood with a, a lot of challenges, but they also the uh, the guy who ran the church had a lot of celebrity friends. And so there'd be a weird thing where it's like, hey, Sharon Stone's here uh, when they're like they're talking about their their the Clintons. Uh, outreach programs and stuff like yeah. that. But it was a place where you would go and feel that, oh, everybody's it still is. welcome. It still is. You're it's saying was is. like it's not there. That's true. Yeah. It is still it's there. It's still there and they're still doing great work. And so like that was a place, but it's like how many churches are just welcoming to everyone. And I think they really actually were well or st and still are welcome to everybody. You know, parks can be good. Parks have security forces now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went to uh, just the other day, I went uh, to that new park that's uh, like above the Salesforce Transit Building. Oh, yeah. It's a public park brought to you by Salesforce, which, you know, that's nice. But at the same time, it's like monitored by, you know, Salesforce security. Well, those are called privately owned public spaces. Cool. And they have a whole interesting history in New York, a lot of them exist because of air rights. So if you wanted to build a very tall building, you could do that as long as you committed to a certain amount of public space that would be uh. open and available on the ground. And so we have a lot of them that are, you know, have been around since the sixties and are famous and designed by famous architects. The older ones are in fact very open. And as time has gone by, the ones that get built are very like only nominally open in terms of the access to it. They don't look welcoming. They don't look like open spaces. They look like, well, if you had balls, you could go walk yeah. in there and sit, yeah. but it's not real clear. There's also, again, this is New York, but there are business improvement districts where the businesses uh, get together and hire a you know, force of security and people to clean places. And then they kind of take responsibility officially for a public park. Wow. Yeah. We, so it can be really hard, I'd say. So even with the will to go out and just and mingle with people who aren't like you in an area where it's not about a particular shopping activity or something you have to buy tickets to, to just sort of like, like see people out in public can be challenging, especially if you live in an area that's mostly a car area. Yeah. And especially yeah. as as so much of our stuff now is internet delivered. So you can like sit in your house with your climate yep. control and your phone and your TV and, and your food comes to you. Like so much of the yeah. emphasis now is on you get to be inside essentially all the time and just the internet brings things to you. And I think going out and seeking out these kind of interactions just terrifying because if you if you aren't used to having them, if you're not used to seeking them out, they feel very risky. They feel very yeah. scary. Like that's a very, I think, a, a deep, deep thing. So that can be, uh, I think that'd be terrifying. And I think uh, like the reason, here's, here's where you can go to the like, here's the promotional part. The reason why I asked mm -hmm. Keo to write the forward <laughs> for the second edition. <laughs> oh my God. Of, uh, go, go, go. Of just enough research is, is that your new book? Yeah, that's the it's the your it's the book, old book. Which is coming it's, out. It's new again. Okay, coming out very soon. 
So I, I asked Kyo to write the foreword because I think a lot of the objections to doing research, especially the kind of research that involves people, which you have to do if you're designing systems that affect people or that people have to interact with. You have to understand people who aren't like you. And I think at the root of all the objections is this kind of ball of fear about talking to strangers yeah. or talking to people where you, you you don't have control over that interaction. Like, you know, even like talking, who talks on the phone anymore? Like any putting yourself into a situation where you can have this uncontrolled, like you don't know where this this indeterminate interaction with a stranger is going to go. I think people are not well prepared to do that. And yeah. they don't do the kind of research they need to do because of it. Which brings me to our secret weapon for making, for making friends <laughs> and meeting strangers. Uh, is it the Stranger Ranger Blaster? It, no, it's a dog. Oh. It's the oh, dog. The dog. Oh, the we, dog. Do you want to know like a nifty technical term for the dog? Go for it. In stranger interactions. It's called a social conduit. That's, that's, I'm, I'm looking at our little social conduit yeah. right now Aww. on Erica's lap. Little fuzzy social conduit. We didn't, we didn't meet our neighbors until we got the dog. Yeah. And we'd lived there forever. Uh, and now we go to the park. Uh, we still don't know a lot of their names. They're we, human names. We know their dog names. Right. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Chester's mom. That's, <laughs> you know, Brody's Toby's dad. dad. Toby's yeah. dad. Yeah. That's Toby's I, every other time I dad. Hear people yeah. say that about their pets. I, I'm like, did you give birth to that? How freaky. It's <laughs> weird, right? That's a weird expression that I do not yeah. encourage. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can be an adopted parent. I know, but it's still creepy. Did you adopt that dog? No, it's my birth dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should definitely say that if somebody yeah. asks you. If you have a, so you could use a social conduit. Are there other social conduits besides dogs? If somebody is allergic or perhaps can't sure. bring their dog with them everywhere, like although this uh, one do. has its own baggage, which is babies. Oh. Babies are social conduit. And the thing that makes it a social conduit as opposed to just something to like triangulate and talk about is that the stranger will talk to the dog or the baby before they talk to you. Yes. Oh, yeah. So yeah. That's, it's, the conduit part is that it's like the way in. Yeah. And I So think if you don't have a dog or a baby, but you want people to talk to you, become a point of triangulation where a crazy hat or interesting shoes yeah. or like something that people will comment on or, puppets. you know, like a sandwich board. Did Have you say puppets. puppets? Yeah. Carry a puppet. Carry a puppet. People might not. <laughs> That's whatever the care. opposite of a, a social conduit is. <laughs> but it, you know, I, I think this is really true because I, um, I have a, like my interactions with strangers are by and large pretty good. And a lot of them, if they're not about my dog, they're about my bicycle or they're about my shoes. shoes. Uh, yes. Yeah. All of those things. So this, this whole episode has been an ad for flu vogs. Yeah, please. Really. <laughs> it's important that everyone listening buy Kyo's book and my book so that we can purchase shoes and, uh, and, and make the world a better place. And make the world, and a, make better the world a better and place and buy things for the adorable child. And the dog. I could talk about this for like another hour, but <laughs> we can't. <laughs> but maybe we could have you back and talk about it some more. Yeah. So so in closing, what what would you, besides get, like getting on a, a train to a different town, <laughs> 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 ride Please. the rails. Uh, what what would you recommend as like first steps for people who are like, huh, maybe I should get out and have more good interactions with other people flying around on this planet with me? Sure. So the book actually has a series of like little expeditions that you can do that are of increasing yes. risk, it's like emotional <laughs> risk or social risk, not danger to your body risk. I think the first thing, if you're not sure about it and you want to get more comfortable is to go sit somewhere that's a public place and just watch people for a while because of that thing of the, the kind of expectations and conventions vary from place to place. You want to get a sense of it, but you want to go to a public place, like go sit on a bench in a park. If that exists where you live, I ask people on the internet a lot 
where they talk to strangers. I just did a book giveaway on Twitter and people said stuff like the laundromat, like waiting in line, like uh, local institutions, like non-chain cafes and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. or little art galleries or any kind of local institution, that those are places where people are more likely to talk to each other. Most of those are because of being stuck. So waiting in a line, waiting at the laundromat. Somebody said uh, that they talk to people at protests. You're still kind of in the same situation of being together. And the local institutions, I think it's like people are more friendly. They're more likely to be there because of a feeling of community. Mm -hmm. They also tend to be excited about telling you about their their place or their town or anything like that. I recommend this when you're traveling, Uh, you know, go in any local institution and ask for advice about what to do. Go to the local bookstore and ask, where's a good place to sit and read? Or where's a place to get a cup of coffee? And that starts a conversation. People love giving that kind of advice. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a whole, yeah, we could do a whole other hour on how the convenience of our lives has taken away some of these opportunities to really have richer, more meaningful interactions we with should do that. strangers around yeah. us. Let's yeah. Do that. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'll, I'll get my kid to come for that one too. Cool. Yeah, fantastic. No, we we love a, a little special guest. So once again, what is the title of your book and where can people find it? So the title is When Strangers Meet, How People You Don't Know Can Transform You. It is on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com and things like that. It is sometimes in your local bookstore or Barnes & Noble. You can certainly ask for it and it will be ordered. I'm sure you can get it through Powell's uh, and I'm not totally sure about other places, but it is available where you find books. Fine books are sold and probably in, you know, maybe the library too, if you want to go into a in the library, a, there's a place to public, meet people. A public the place library, to meet people. also a good place to talk to people, although quietly. Yes. Keo, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's been a genuine pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Go play with your kid. Yeah. All oh. right. Yeah. Get her off that iPad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and thanks to all of you for listening to another episode of The Voice of Design. You can find us on Twitter at VOD underscore rocks, V-O-D-R-O-C-K-S. Remember to tell everybody you know to listen and rate us where it's possible to rate podcasts. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. And bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.